This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Jenny. I'm Tomahome. And I'm Seth. And we're talking new releases, recent arrivals. And I have a whole bunch of uh, books from Tor, paper books. You know what those are. Paper. They're like made Very from clean. trees and maybe a little bit of rag. Probably mostly trees now. I don't know. They're like ebooks but thicker. Yeah, like yeah. ebooks but they take up physical space on your desk. And I've got five of them I wanna <laughs> talk about so I can get them off my desk so I can get closer to my keyboard. Um the first one I got is a sequel, I guess, to an earlier Marie Brennan book. Um, can't remember the name of the first one, but the, I remember the first one being gorgeously illustrated, and this one is too. The Tropic of Serpents. Uh, oh, it's uh, the Lady Trent series. That's what it is. And um, it is quite quite stunningly illustrated inside, um, kind of like books used to be. Hmm. Um, I tweeted the, uh, the pictures of a few of them from inside, and, and it's kind of like a Darwin's... Uh, Voyage sort of book, Darwin's Notebook sort of book, except in an alternate world in which uh, more more uh, fantastical creatures, although there's some pretty amazingly fantastical creatures on our Earth, there's some, you know, fire-breathing ones and such in these <laughs> books. Dragons. Yeah, and, and also, like, there's, uh, they've got, you know, flying machines, human-powered flying machines, and so it's 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 kind of like steampunk with less uh, steam and more um science. Mhm. Neat. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind trying the audiobook, but paper? I'll set it aside except for the pictures. I like that one. Is there yeah, still a lot of illustrations? There are. Yeah. There are. There's probably about 5 or 6 at least. Um I it, it, for some reason these have the rag end uh, and it's just these ones. They have the sort of rag, you know, weird. I don't know how it's described, but you know, like the the cut at the end is not even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the um, advantage of that? I don't know. It's old fashioned looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's got maps and it's got um, pro- at least one illustration per chapter. So I'm probably way underestimating it. But it's actually quite hard to to flip through just with your thumb using the side. You have to use the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope the audiobook has the illustrations. It does not, of course. I wish, yeah, I wish audiobook um, publishers, and I guess they do it for intellectual property reasons, but it wouldn't be hard at all to include a PDF with a map or a glossary or illustrations. Things like do they? Yeah, almost. I mean, only if you get in the hard copy, and fewer and fewer people are these days. You know, yeah, I, I never do. That's why I always down. miss it. Yeah, and so yeah, you know, like Tantor gives out uh, PDFs with their public domain books, but of course they don't even have illustrations. It's just a an, a regular ebook version. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have that, jo- I have Joe Hill's uh, Nosferatu, and the book has a whole bunch of illustrations, and the ebook has nothing. Hmm. Wow. That sucks. Yeah, it's disappointing. You know, I uh, my thing was when I get an audiobook that has the uh, no pictures, but the book does. I just go and put them up on the site. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'll like I'll go to the library and get that book, and then t- take some 
pictures and say, look, this book looks great inside. So important to me. I can understand for audio, but for ebooks, there should be no reason that you wouldn't include the images. Right. Yeah, look, I, I don't understand that. IPad. <laughs> yeah. They, they just I, seem I, to give a lower priority to ebooks. Actually, you know, they're not even black and white. They're they're tan and brown. Hmm. They're not, you know, color illustrations, but they're they're um, on this one. They're they're tan and brown. Yeah. But that actually is the only book of all these tour books. Um, I'm glad at least somebody's getting illustrations inside, but of all these four books, none of them have illustrations on the inside, except for that one. And uh, I I guess every once in a while, a new fantasy one will have a map. Yeah. Pretty much that's it. And, you know, I go through a lot of newspapers um, and magazines from the late 19th century, and damned if they didn't have a picture on every second or third page. uh, Yeah. That that thing would go out of business because there's so much competition. Yeah, actually, um, when Scott Westerfeld put out his uh, like Leviathan was the first book in his series. It's like steampunk, and he talked about how like the original Sherlock Holmes had a lot of pictures, and books in earlier centuries had a lot more pictures. And he, he's trying to bring it back with his with that series too. Yeah, actually, those were well illustrated. I, I recall, mm. but. Not the audio book. <laughs> um, the Raven Shadow. Uh, I just want to. I want to get rid of this one because this is the thickest one. It's called uh, the Raven Shadow: The Wild Hunt, Book Three by Elspeth Cooper. No illustrations, but uh, very thick. Let's see. This is 561 pages. So, what would that translate to in hours? Is that like 20 hours? Uh, good. Yeah, good twenty twenty four hours. Um, twenty four yeah. hours. Wow, that's four Jessies. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we're not doing the drinking game this episode. I think it's like twenty pages an hour, maybe. Twenty oh, page, twenty okay. pages an hour. Hmm. Uh, that might that might be close. It, I, I guess it depends on the pages too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, they can vary wildly. Um. Uh, Ellie Modisette Jr. I cannot keep track of this uh, author's, uh, and I don't even think they're trying to keep track of what number in the series this is. Um, but it's Rex Regis. It's part of a Imager series. Yeah. Beautiful illustration on the cover, and I have no idea what it's about other than it does have a map, I believe. I read yes. the first. I read the first book in the series. It's one of those. Um, Artist artist um, memoirs where you know the artist's um, work has some sort of magical power and and it's um, kind of Renaissance vaguely Renaissance ish um, city with intrigue political intrigue and started as a trilogy and now it's ballooned into this long running series. So yeah, so the characters page is uh, fully fully laid out and there is a uh, map on the inside which uh, you also don't, would not get with the audiobook um, there are like you know little masthead um, illustrations which uh, you know it's not bad but um, not not going to start in the middle not for me um, it's too bad we don't have a paper book reviewer uh, John C. Wright who's read a John C. Wright book I've got The Judge of Ages this is a space opera well, I know Count. I know Count to a Trillion is the first one, and it's hard science fiction. Right, but I haven't. This read it. is this is a follow up. Um, uh, yeah, it's says series. One. 
Oh, it's the third one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't have much to say about these. I'm. I'm sad to say. Although I will point out that there is a an allusion to uh, uh, an earlier podcast uh, episode we did about um, Cordwainer Smith in the first chapter. I'm just looking at the chapter heading. It's the instrumentality of Hades or the Hyades. Sorry, and it's set in the far future. It's that's a allusion to the instrumentality of mankind, no doubt. You know, far future science fiction. I'm sure he's a fan. Must be. You pretty much have to be. It's pretty amazing stuff. Now, this is actually the one I wanted to dig down to because there is an audiobook coming, and it's if it's a series, it's yeah, I think it is. It's uh, the first in a series, which is always the most interesting part. It's called (laughs) The Goblin Emperor, and it has. a Zeppelin on the cover, which is a good thing, which also means it's steampunk, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and the author? Is Catherine Addison. I'm not familiar with Catherine Addison. Anybody here? No. No? no? Okay. Well, I was looking through Audible, and I spotted um, it on... Oh, maybe it was Tantor. Yes, it's Tantor as the audiobook, and it's going to be coming... Uh, 610, so maybe this is a uh, pre-release, or maybe it's just not a synch- synchronized release, but it's coming in June. 16 hours, and um, I want to read the summary here, because actually I was I was looking at this one, and it looks, it looks, sounds pretty good. A little smarter than a regular steampunk. The youngest half-goblin son of the Emperor has lived his entire life in exile, distant from the Imperial Court and deadly intrigue that suffuses it. But when his father and three sons in line for the throne are killed in an quote-unquote accident, he has no choice but to take his place as the only surviving rightful heir. Entirely unschooled in the art of court politics, he has no friends, no advisors, and the sure knowledge that whoever assassinated his father and brothers could make an attempt on his life at any moment. Surrounded by sycophants eager to curry favor with a new naive emperor and overwhelmed by the burdens of his new life, he can trust nobody. Amid the swirl of plots to depose him, offers of arranged marriages and the specter of unknown conspirators who lurk in the shadows, he must quickly adjust to the life as the Goblin Emperor. All the while, he is alone and trying to find even a single friend and hoping for the possibility of romance, yet also vigilant against the unseen enemies that threaten him, lest he lose his throne or his life. Notice there's almost no reference to, you know, the, the fantasy element. It's 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 mostly court intrigue, but mm. in an alternate universe. And half goblin. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it sounds more like um, you know George R. R. Martin style. Sure. Than, and the cover is fantastically good. Hmm. I was gonna say, Io9 recently did did a series, uh, did an article on what fantasy series would translate um, best to screen um, next, and I can't remember. They listed several. Books, but they're all books of that type where the focus was more on political court intrigue than uh, than magic and and yeah, uh, I think that's the George R. R. Martin effect. Probably. I think so too, and I think it's for a couple reasons. I think number one, it's budgetary. It's it's a lot easier to film, get some costumes together, and and film a bunch of stuff in a in a throne room than it is to huh? film these epic battles. And two, I think you know, it's 
unfortunately, um, the lowest common denominator effect. People people will accept court intrigue and and relationship machinations more than they'll accept magic and ideas. And oh, I Zeppelins see. And, yeah, I mean that that is it's 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 interesting to see such a. Uh, s- such a dragony show becoming sort of mainstream. Yeah, it's the first time I think it's really. I mean, other than Lord of the Rings, I guess, which probably prompted that a bit. But yeah, I mean, until Lord of the Rings was a movie, I don't think most people would have accepted a HBO show. I, I don't as HBO. I guess they've done a few fantasy sort of shows before. Yeah, Carnival, which I did not watch, but I heard it was really great. And True Blood. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Carnival was canceled. So. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, uh, I like more fantasy in my fantasy. When, I do, I, too. I agree. When I read the first Game of Thrones, I was, like, thirsty for more fantastic stuff. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it... I mean, if you think of how The Lord of the Rings works, it, it, Gandalf really hasn't... <laughs> His magic powers are incredibly limited. It's just knowledge. That's his mat. You know, he has a glowing staff. That's about it. He doesn't cast a lot of spells. No uh, fireballs here or there, but yeah, I think it, it, it's like you know, the, it's like money in a bank robbery movie. If you if the stakes are low, you think well, that's not as good as if the stakes are high. You know, if the they're trying to rob a guy of fifty thousand dollars. It's not as good as if they're trying to rob five hundred million dollars. Right. But uh, you know, I think it was the second or the third Lethal Weapon movie. They literally had a a ship in the harbor that was full of money. <laughs> and I'm like, where can they go from here? Right. It's uh, the magic inflation is like money inflation to me. Everybody, and then you end up with Harry Potter, where everybody's a wizard, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I guess there's a balance to strike, but uh, my, I guess my taste varies with other people's. Yeah, and there's a depth in, in Tolkien that, you know, there's uh, there's a cultural depth that Game of Thrones has at its best, but it doesn't sustain over four or five books that, because Tolkien did these decades of back work and, and the stuff that's not explicitly well, yeah. in the books, but it comes through, um, you feel like it's a it's a fully realized world and not just this veneer over George R. R. Martin said that he it's loosely based on Wars of the Roses. Um obviously there's not a one to one correlation there, but uh Lannisters and Stark sounds suspiciously like uh Lancaster and York, for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. Have you read all the books, uh Seth? Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. Uh, Dance with Dragons and I just did not get along. <laughs> really didn't. Okay. Um, I, got, I, I, don't I, know. Got, I did the first two, but like I said. Oh, sort of, uh, the third one is great. Um, you should oh, read yeah? the third one. You can skip the next two. Um, they're okay. essentially supposed to be like flashbacks originally. Um, and then he decided, he, I guess he needed to write two fat books of them. And he, so, had to cut, yeah. he, had to, he had to cut one in half, right? And he made it into two? Yeah, basically. So, yeah. But the third one is fantastic. It might be the best one. Okay. Did you guys see the um, the uh, Lego Jar Jar R. Martin that I tweeted? I missed it, but I'll have to pull that up. There's a company called uh, Citizen Brick, which makes um, sort of 
low run custom, not low run, you know, small quantities of custom minifigs based on all sorts of different things. They did a Breaking Bad one. Um, now, they don't call it Breaking Bad because they'd have to pay a license, but you just look at them and you say, that's Breaking Bad. Breaking Rick, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, it's Breaking like, Bad, uh, that's what it is. Breaking Bad, that's what it should be. No, like, it's it's like Tucson, uh, you know, or what, what's the city they're in? Oh, it's in New Mexico somewhere, right? Or is it Arizona? I'll just bring it up. It's Albuquerque, maybe. The website's Citizen Brick. <laughs> That's great. Um, and one of the reasons these little companies are popping up is because uh, even though Lego's doing great um, with the new Lego movie and such, yeah, it's Albuquerque Action Squad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, I know that guy. Um, That's fantastic. Uh, is because Lego lost its um, trademark, not trademark. It's uh, what's, there's trademark, there's copyright, and then there's the third one. What's the third one? Patent. Patent. Okay. Its patents have all expired, so people can make their own Lego shapes in the exact shape of Lego wow. pieces. Can all fit together. It's Man, that's great. It's been it's been that way for years and years, but um, it takes some time. Um, for it to sort of break through. And so now um, when Lego doesn't do something, you know, the, the market demands, for example, guns. Lego doesn't do a lot of military stuff mm -hmm. because it's for kids, right? Right. But really there's tons of adults who buy Lego and they like to do like, you know, make tanks and stuff. So they have a lot of World War II uh, ones. And this, um, they made uh, the... Breaking Bad, but they also did uh, the incomplete, um, the complete uh, Game of Thrones characters. Can you see it there? Oh, that's fantastic! Um, and if you buy the full set, you get a bonus George R. R. Martin. <laughs> he comes to your house? No, 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 George R. R. Martin minifig. Can we? So it's, can he have like a thought bubble that said George R. R. Martin is not your bitch or something? Uh, it it says his name is Sir Tr Sir writes a lot. I think. <laughs> oh gosh! Did they change the name? Types Sir types a lot. So I think it's pretty funny. I'm just going to send you guys all the link here. I'm going to put that in the show notes. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm a little obsessed with Lego, I guess. Uh, but. You know, hey, that's Tyrion, right? <laughs> you say, and then some of them I'm like, is that a white walker? He looks more blue to me. But I, uh, I guess it's based on the TV show rather than the book. Yeah, but it's still it's pretty cool. There's the the guy with uh, no um, testicles. What's his name? <laughs> you know who I mean? Oh, Varys the eunuch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a nice. Dress, smooth, uh, yeah, smooth complexion, and yeah, yeah. Are we gonna get back to books now, guys? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I got off track. This episode brought to you by Citizen Brick. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Hey, it's we, pretty we, great. We could take a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> especially if it's Lego based. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm done with my stack of of books. Um, other than to say that yes, Tantor is going to be releasing the Goblin Emperor. At 16 hours. Um, I don't think the uh, author was announced yet. Uh, sorry. <laughs> narrator. narrator was announced yet. I have one from Tor also in print. Might as well go okay. ahead and mention it. Uh, it is The Revolutions by Felix Gilman. 
And it says it's a tale of Victorian science fiction, arcane exploration, and planetary romance. Takes place in 1893. So uh, the cover of it is really beautiful. It looks like a faded newspaper, kind of like that yellowed paper with black newsprint on it. I haven't tried it yet, but it looks good. Yeah, but it looks like the moon is the planet they're talking about uh, based on the cover. Yeah, maybe the publisher summary doesn't really tell you, so you have to kind of read it. To how, how, how is it inside? Is it all I yellow inside? Oh, no, it's just regular print. Okay. Um, yeah, planetary romance is what they called science fiction before it became science fiction when it was uh, off. <laughs> like, um, uh, Mars. Yeah. The John Carter Mars series. Um, well, it seems yeah. around the same time as like, um, Oh, what was that book we discussed about the magicians oh, and the light bulbs and, you know, the prestige. Yes. Oh, thank you. Prestige. I just couldn't think of it. I'm it's around that up. same you know time period that everyone. You should read so the Prestige. It's pretty great. Yeah, it is great. Actually, you should just listen to the audiobook because that's even better. Well, there, yeah, I like the audio. So there's that one, and then the other book I got a review copy of is an ebook version, and it's the uh, best science fiction and fantasy of the year, volume eight, edited by Jonathan Strahan, if that's how you say it. And um, he's with a new publisher now, Solaris. Solaris, oh. not sure which. Some of the stories on this list, we can link to the the list, but, man, there's great stuff in here. Uh, Water by Ramez Nam, a Ted Ted story. <laughs> Ted Chiang. Ted Chiang. I always say it wrong. <laughs> um, Huvelt, who I really liked last year on the Hugo list. Uh, Lavi Tidhar is on here. Uh, there's just some really great looking stories. Uh, one of them I've read already. Selkie's stories are for losers by Sophia Samatar because she's nominated for Hugo this year. Uh, oh, Sing wow. by Karen Tidbeck. There's just a lot of really great stuff. Well, which is what? the um, Ted Chiang story, if you don't mind? Uh, it is the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. Oh, I don't know that one. I'm looking yeah. forward to this now. A I think that was the- nominated too. Yeah, maybe. But a lot of these are stories. So from was the that last story for losers, or what? Or was it for winners? <laughs> it was good. It was. Uh, yeah, you'd have to read it. I don't want to spoil the kind of spin on it. It's a short one, though. Oh, okay. Oh, so how far into it are you? I have not read this volume at all. Oh. I have it sitting on my iPad waiting for me. Um, but I have read a few of the stories mm-hmm. from other places. Oh, and there's an E. Lily Yu on here. I like her a lot. Um, Ian McDonald, Caitlin Kiernan. Mm. Just lots of my favorites are on here. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, do we have any audiobooks? <laughs> we have a lot of audiobooks to talk about. Good. Good. Uh, shall we consult our handy list? Sure. Oh, we need we need a sound effect for the list. It needs to be like the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> the unre- un- unveiling. Don't panic. Yeah. Well, I grouped a whole bunch of things under fantasy. Although the first book is more folklore than fantasy, I guess it's the Scottish Fairy Book, Volume One, and it was originally published in 1910. So. 
Back oh, in 1910, cool. Elizabeth W. Grierson collected these tales in Scotland and from Scottish people. And um, the stories are also common to the north of Ireland. So they're sometimes called Celtic stories, but they're all about fairies. And it's read by Stephen Cree, and it's three hours and eight minutes. But I was looking through Audible, and this one kind of stuck out to me. The cover mm-hmm. is really beautiful, and um, a lot of us don't really know some of the original fairy tales. We have different versions of them that we know, so I thought this sounded yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I, I picked up a Jewish fairy tales book uh, the other day. I said, oh, man, this looks great. And then I went online and, oh, it's available on <laughs> archive.org. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's actually pretty handy to have a paper book when it's uh, fairy tales, just really short ones. You can get through them really fast in paper. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, yeah, it's good. But um, I, I got into it because um, I watched The Corpse Bride. Did you guys see that? The yes. Tim Burton yeah, movie from that. years ago. I saw that when it came out. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. a ton of it, but I remember enjoying it. It was, it was all right. It was pretty good. Um, but I found out that by just researching it, uh, that it's based on a Jewish folk tale, um, and it's it's like um, it's the exact premise is from that. And you know, a lot of great stories are folk tales like that and fairy tales. Yeah. Um. That's where we should be. Uh, I mean, they're proven stories. You you wouldn't share them year after year if they weren't great. Absolutely. Um, Philip Pullman's edition of Grimm's Fairy Tales, which is in audio, is is pretty good. And his whole his whole premise in the in the in, in his introduction to it is, hey, I've changed these. Everyone changes these when mm-hmm. when they tell them. I hope you tell these, and I hope you change them, and make little neat flourishes and change little details and. And go forth and spread fairy tales. It was pretty neat. That is, uh, I think you know you shouldn't you know go to the uh, the version that he did. You go back to the original ones, then you change them. <laughs> well, because yeah. There's... Otherwise, it's like people copying uh, Jordan instead of copying Tolkien. Oh boy, you know? yeah. And yeah, Tolkien's but... copying something else, right? I mean, if yeah. you dig really deep into folklore, which that was the PhD program I started in. You know, mm-hmm. for a long time, the 19th century, people were all gung-ho. We're going to find the original folk, folk tale for all these folk tales. Mm-hmm. And that was where people spent all their energy. And I think eventually people are just like, yeah, that might not exist. <laughs> oh, no, probably not. But, <laughs> you can find but, older, but I'm not sure you're going to find original. But there, there's something about the way time... Like pass- yeah, but uh, as time passes, um, uh, the good stuff tends not to be thrown away is the theory, right? That's why we have sure. these old stories. Um, sure. Now you could, you could argue that, uh, you know, one day we're going to find in a cave some some garbage can that has some really crappy, uh, great stories in them, but probably they were the crappy ones because people, you know, will hug their... When they have to move, they, have, they will take the books they love the most with them. They will take the stories they love the most with them. Maybe it's unprovable, but it's a, it's an idea. What's up next? Yeah, although we've talked we've talked about um, yeah, just real quick, we've talked about um, myths being books being lost and that whole uh, that whole um, area down in Herculaneum uh, outside of Pompeii mm-hmm. just getting overwhelmed. So I think good stuff does get lost. I mean, for example, Ovid wrote Metamorphoses, did his own version of Medea, 
and that's lost. So there's a ton of good is stuff Ovid that I think a, is lost. Uh, is Ovid a girl? No. I'm no, Ovid, uh, Sappho's the girl, yeah. Ovid, Sappho's Ovid the, the girl. Boy. Right. Boys yeah. and girls. Anyway, anyway sorry, next. <laughs> no, no. Stellates. What, what isn't that ancient rock with, like, writing on it? Stellates of the stars? So Stella of the sky. Sky. I have no idea. <laughs> it's book like, three of Eternal Sky by Elizabeth Bear. Um, I think I like a stele is, uh, I'll just look it up. Um, a stone or wooden slab, generally taller than it is wide, erected as a monument. And I think they usually like have writing on them. Like, uh, yeah. isn't it like the Code of Hammurabi a stele? Yeah, I like think it. you're right. I think you're right. Um, I want to read this series. I've, I've actually got the first book, which is called Range of Ghosts. I haven't started yet, but um, our friend Paul Weimer calls it a Silk Road fantasy because it's set in yeah. kind of the central st- step um, area. Um, well, I mean, it's not historical. It's it's a it's a fantasy world, but its source of inspiration is not European medieval like so much stuff is. Um, right. I listen to podcasts, and she she has a friend basically who's from India, and she's like, "Hey, how come none of the fantasy is written about our stuff?" So she's like, "Oh, I'll just go write one." That was Geek's Guide, right? Yeah, and she's also been on Sword and Laser recently, so she's she's getting around. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really good interview with uh, her on Geek's Guide. It was, um, pretty, you know, deeper than than uh, often they go. Yeah. Um, but that probably has a lot to do with the author too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, actually it made me want to read the book. So actually that's kind of interesting. Although this is book three. Where's what's book one called? Range of ghosts. Range of ghosts. Okay. I don't know what book two is called. She was saying that, uh, the, the sky is literally looks different under different gods. Yeah. Hmm. Which, yeah. It's which, a neat concept. Yeah. That's yeah. a really cool idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she's on my list of people to try. I haven't read anything of hers, but I know she writes a wide range of styles, so she does. Must be yeah. something for everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reading her first book, Hammered, which is science fiction. Oh yeah, what do you think? It's pretty good. Like the world is good and the characters are good, but there's not really any action yet. But uh, so far, it's well done. It's it's kind of like um cyberpunk almost. Hmm. There's a virtual world, and then she has a uh, mechanical arm but she's like uh 50 years old so it's, a, it's like a 50 year old woman is the main character so it's a little different probably uh no midriff tattoos inside right? <laughs> oh yikes <laughs> gotta get away from those books so realistic well, no, no, it's, 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 no it's, it's not like a romance or anything because 50 year olds never have romance <laughs> well, a lot of fifty-year-olds will, or there will be a lot of fifty-year-olds with midriff tattoos as well. Hmm. So, <laughs> we have another book three up next. All right, it's uh, without a summer. It's from the glamorous histories by Mary Robinette Coel, read by her also. Uh, I have read. Uh-huh. Is isn't this the same one that Shades of Milk and Honey comes from? Yes. I've read that one, but I haven't read the second one. So this is a continuation of that series or trilogy. So I'm sure people are pretty excited about that one. So it's like, you know, the world of Jane Austen, but with magic in it. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice crossover kind of feeling. 
She seems like a good narrator. Oh, yeah, she does a good job. She does other people's books, too. She seems to put um, a lot of technique into it. This uh, What section are we in? Are we in the... I can't remember what this is We're called. We're still at the beginning. Fantasy. 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 Traditional okay. epic and regency. I'm <laughs> 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 trying to fit it all together there. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have a few others. I'll just mention the titles of, and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, Justice by Ian Irvine, Tainted Realm Number 3, read by Grant Cartwright. So that's a blend of audio title with an Australian accent. Uh, Midnight Tides, which is Malazan Book 5 by Stephen Erickson, read by Michael Page. Those are those 26-disc, 29-hour books that people wow. love so much. I, I'm just mentioning it in passing because it's out on Brilliance Audio, but previously it was on Audible. Um, so it's not new, new. And The Serpent's Shadow, one of the Elemental Masters series by Mercedes Lackey, is also out on Brilliance what does so. reviewer too late mean? Oh, it's just a note because I have a certain window to respond to the publisher. Oh. So that just means it's not actually up for grabs for our reviewers anymore. People have already had a chance. Oh, gotcha. Because they mail them out. So Brilliance is still putting out their audiobooks, you know, physically. Snail, well, there's, snail mail. There's still, there's mm-hmm. still people do it. I haven't actually put a CD in for a couple months now. I I wish I could say the same. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, you're ripping, right? Okay. So I can listen to some of these. But I know that they're in the middle of transitioning, and then in a few months or years, they'll be right where everyone else is. So So, unless anyone has anything to say about those books, we have some under Urban Fantasy, too. All right. Okay. Um, I don't want to mention all of these. So much of what's in urban fantasy is in the middle of a series. Mm-hmm. But there is um, a, f- uh, well, a handful of books that are the first in a series, so I'd like to mention those. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is Dreamwalker, Dreamwalker number 1, by C.S. Friedman, read by Evan Hartzow. And it says, all her life, Jessica Drake has dreamed of other worlds, some of them similar to her own, others disturbingly alien. She never shares the details with anyone, save her younger brother, Tommy, a compulsive gamer who incorporates some aspects of Jessica's dreams into his games. But now someone is asking about those dreams and about her. A strange woman has been seen watching her house, and a mysterious visitor to her school has tried to take possession of her dream-inspired artwork. Wow. Why? Why? I guess you'd have to read it to find out. Yeah. So there's some kind of secret heritage that the brother and sister share, and they just don't know anything about it. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like, you know, somebody on the street. It, it's not as urban as it is suburban sounding, you know? Yeah, yeah. suburban fantasy. Urban fantasy just suburban means modern, fantasy. sort of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, they're just my silly categories. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think, yeah, but I think this is a little bit out of the typical, you know, I, the cover doesn't sort of tell it that, but the way it's described, it doesn't sound like a typical, you know, sword and tattoo with a goblin, uh, you know, in a nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> feel to it. it. Sounds a little more like a real book. Yeah. Which is nice. And uh, speaking of Mary Robinette Kowal, um, she narrated Indexing by Shannon McGuire. Did I say her name right? 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a you know she writes a lot of urban fantasy, but this is a new, at least a new book. I'm not sure if it's a series or not. Um, I'll read a little bit. Never underestimate the power of a good story. Good advice, especially when a story can kill you. For mm. most people, the story of their lives is just that: the accumulation of time, encounters, and actions into a cohesive whole. But for an unfortunate few, that day-to-day existence is affected, perhaps infected is a better word, by mimetic incursion, where fairy tale narratives become reality, often with disastrous results. And this is where this reminds me of Philip K. Dick. That's mm. where the ATI Management Bureau steps in, an organization tasked with protecting the world from fairy tales, even while most of their agents are struggling to keep their own fantastic archetypes from taking over their lives. When you're dealing with storybook narratives in the real world, it doesn't matter if you're Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, or the Wicked Queen. No one gets happily ever after. So, I guess we've seen quite Doesn't a sound few. bad. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And, you know, the, uh, the, the shows with fairy tales are so popular right now. It's probably yeah, it's totally true. I, um, the cover has uh, a very urban fantasy background. And then what looks like a dead person having bit into an apple. <laughs> I, is, I don't think it's uh, a series. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> that's even better news. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about a series there. Hmm. Although, you know, if it's successful, maybe they'll make it one. Um, it's funny, though, that the title's indexing. It's not very telling you what it is, does, is it? No, it was, I thought that was an interesting title. Yeah. ATI Management. Uh, so, uh, something, something indexing? Hmm. Management Bureau? Not, okay. It kind of sounds like the Fables comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, could be. And I also, you know, anytime you have the word mimetic in the description, it's it makes it sound a little smarter. Hmm. Mimetic incursion. That's what I'm trying to avoid all my all the time. <laughs> Run away. I don't want. I don't want. They must listen, everybody. They must listen to our podcast. Maybe exactly. They got that from you. That, you said they're they're mimetic, mimet, mimicking us. I don't know. <laughs> they're mimicking mm. our mimeticism. Uh oh, we're gonna get caught in a loop. There's this um, great Borges story about mimesis, where um, it's um, Averroes, who's this like 12th century uh, Muslim scholar, who's kind of rediscovering Aristotle, and he mm-hmm. he's like he discovers this word mimesis, and he can't figure out what it is, and Outside, there's this like group of kids, like, and they're playing. They're pretending to be like the minaret and the the imam, and, and it's like so. It's mimesis is happening right outside. Of mm-hmm. You can't figure it out. That's awesome. What's that one called? I don't know, but I'll look it up. Oh, that's cool. I love Borges. That's he's so good. Uh, Off to be a wizard by Scott Meyer, read by Luke Daniels. That's worth mentioning for the Luke Daniels, anyways. Mm-hmm. Rob's gonna review that. What else we got here? Um, I can just mention them in passing. The Serpent's sure. Tale by Dana Cameron. It's only two discs, so it looks Ooh. like it's a short story in the Fangborn series. Uh, Night Broken, Mercy Thompson number eight by Patricia that, Briggs. Now that has a midriff tattoo of any book. That's <laughs> <laughs> the queen sure of that midriff tattoos. Is that? Yes. Yeah. And then Clockwork, Clockwork Lies. Iron Wind, uh, Clockwork Heart Number Two, by Drew Pagliasadi, read by Kate Rudd, and so it's part of the Clockwork Heart series. 
But yeah, we've talked about that one on another podcast. We have, which is why I thought I'd just mention it. Because I'm really excited about the next category. I've created a new category. Oh, cool. I'm calling it Scientific Near Future Thriller. Oh, I'm just looking at that midriff tattoo. It's not just midriff. It's it's uh, She's got sleeves. And what is the tattoo just under your neck called? Uh, your collar? Your upper, oh, like your upper breast. <laughs> upper breast tattoo? Yeah. Chest? I don't know. Yeah, high chest. Uh, sorry to get you off track there. I just I I, I wanted to see if Tam was right. I, I have to admit to right. gazing at those covers, but then when I read the book, it somehow it seems different yeah. than what I expect. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Sorry, Jenny. Sorry, Jenny. Uh, if I say it twice, it's just not as exciting. That's human. By but, ben but those books are for women. Scientific near thriller. Yeah, this is uh, from Skyboat, right? Um, Stefan Rudnicki has been. I've been watching him tweet out some new books that he's recording. I I don't know. Skyboat. I don't know Skyboat. This is oh Skyboat is um, Stefan Rudnicki's production company that. Oh. They, into Blackstone somehow. Right. And um, he always gets, like, himself, uh, Gabriel DeCur, and I think the, he's also got Harlan Elston still re- recording stuff, too. Hmm. Um, so well, it this just seems like... Yeah, and there's a trend right now of books that are set, you know, near future, but it's not about the technology as much as it is about medical advancement and, mm-hmm. you know, how that affects humanity. So um, transhuman is, I guess treatment for cancer and some kind of experimental thing, cellular level. And then after parties about smart drugs, sleep donation mm-hmm. is about um, insomnia. Strange bodies <laughs> is about, let's see. Well, that one's a little more technology based, but these four books all seem to have, I mean, they're all very different, but it's all kind of mm-hmm. based on that. Type of and different premise. publishers too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And authors, everything's different. Everything. But yeah, it's it's the it's the post tech. So we didn't get our flying jetpacks and no, we didn't, we didn't get uh, I don't know some stuff. But we're definitely getting we're going to have those iPods merged into our eyebrows or something. Right, because <laughs> we didn't get the singularity. We're going to have to figure out how to like reorganize our cell structure. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a uh, podcast talking about um, why Ballard is more relevant than uh, contemporary science fiction authors uh, of his period mm. is because he was about the social effects of technology. Yeah, um, and it was all about the s- social change, not about the technological change. And if you think about it, like the the somebody was saying uh, that it was like Twitter has affected people more than um, than uh, the the phone that they use to to use it. Huh. Right? Is that the Kuzmi like, podcast? I'm not sure. I don't know. It might have been. Uh, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been Kuzmi Street with Neil Gaiman talking about. Okay. Um, yeah, it sounds familiar uh, to me too. Yeah, I think I think you might have pointed me to that a while ago, and I just got to it recently. But yeah, Neil Gaiman was talking about a uh, bunch of authors, and and he was saying, you know, what makes them 
sort of even more relevant today is that it, they've got sort of an interest in the soft side of so- social change rather than uh, strictly technological change. Mm-hmm. What the effects of the of a social change would be. Yeah, um, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, think think about the way people relate to um, uh, transgendered people now, as opposed to thirty years ago. It's it's you know, it's uncool to be un- uncool now to transgendered people. Yeah, and that I mean, that's not a technological change, right? No, I mean, for example, Facebook just included um, recently as a big news thing. They they included about. 50 different genders, um, (laughs) you know, man to woman, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's mainstream now. And I'm really, I'm really glad that that's happening. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to know what's going to happen too. Also, like you you say, um, we can see progress, right? We're going to, people aren't going to be discriminated against. Okay. And then at some point we're going to say, okay, and what's the, what's, what's it going to be like after, you know, 50 years from now? No idea. Is it going to stay the same? Absolutely not. What's going to happen next? Don't know. <laughs> you need somebody to tell us what's what's going to be weird in the future. Right, and I think these authors are using that as their premise. You know, we're doing this thing with science, and we're getting used to this concept, and so here's the a possible ramification, and that's what I'll write my novel around. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great type of concept. I've actually read Sleep Donation um, it's more of a novella. Yeah, what's that about? Well, it's about all of a sudden there's like a virus or something where people can no longer sleep, just certain numbers of them. And so, of course, after a period of not being able to sleep, you die because your body can't sustain that. And they mm-hmm. figured out how to take people's sleep and, and kind of like blood donations. Ah. <laughs> you can sign up and you can um, donate your sleep. And the problem is, is that if you have nightmares at all, those also get donated. Oh, no. And there is a a guy kind of like if a, someone donated HIV positive blood and it, it gets oh, spread around neat. and his dream is like the worst nightmare ever. And I don't think it ever tells you what it's about. It's just the worst thing ever. It's worse than the insomnia. And mm. so he's like patient zero and it gets spread around. And then there's that's great. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's a really interesting world because when you have people who have something and people who don't, of course, that splits the community. And so there's this whole community of people that drink these strange concoctions with super drugs in them. And it's kind of like a carnival type society of all these insomniacs that spend time together. Hmm. It's a really interesting idea. That sounds great. Yeah. Clever. And then Strange Bodies by Marcel Theroux, narrated by Gildart Jackson and Veda Hmm, Demlo. This isn't usually an author we would talk about because he's considered more literary side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the topic seemed so related. Um, actually, I'll read the description. Whatever this is, it started when Nicholas Slopin came back from the dead. In a locked ward of a notorious psychiatric hospital sits a man who insists that he is Dr. Nicholas Slopin, failed husband and impoverished Samuel Johnson scholar, Slopin has been dead for months, yet nothing can make this man change his story. 
What begins as a tale of apparent forgery involving unknown letters by the great Dr. Johnson grows to encompass a conspiracy between a Silicon Valley mogul and his Russian allies to exploit the darkest secret of Soviet technology, the Malavin procedure. <laughs> so Thoreau's the Boswell. <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clever. What is a Boswell? Uh, Boswell was the biographer of Samuel Johnson. Oh. <laughs> it's like... It's, uh, it's, not, it's not a deep joke. It's just... Um, if, if Samuel Johnson is like this. He's the guy who wrote the first English dictionary. Yeah. Um, amongst other things. Oh. Yeah, it's funny because I just read a book that had a Samuel Johnson society. Um, it was the word exchange where there's a word flu. Huh. And oh, the right. English language is deteriorating. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Not, ba- not bad sounding. Uh, maybe this category is cool. Yeah, I like this category. <laughs> I like this category, Jenny. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's move it to the top. Okay. <laughs> it's a whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And More the of these, I, please. <laughs> the one I just kind of mentioned in passing is After Party by Daryl Gregory. And a lot mm-hmm. of my Goodreads friends lately have given that very positive reviews. So. It begins in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about After Party. Yeah. And actually. Oh, so what's, it, what's it about? Now that we're talking about it. <laughs> Well, Let me, I'll read it here. Yeah, please. In, it begins in Toronto in the years after the smart drug revolution. Any high school student with a chemjet and internet connection can download res- recipes and print drugs or invent them. This sounds great. A 17-year-old street girl finds God through a new brain-altering drug called Numinous. Well, that's clever. Used as a sacrament by a new church that preys on on the underclass. Get it? Pray the church prays. P r e y. What else? But. Uh, yeah, but she is arrested and put into detention, and without the drug, commits suicide. Linda Rose, another patient in the detention facility, has a dark secret. She has one. Uh, she was one of the original scientists who developed the drug. Interesting. Yeah, it, it sounds good. It's not too long. It's only eleven hours. Yeah, no, it sounds like up. a good one. Hmm. And that's uh, produced by Audible. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm kind of sad that this uh, small category is gone. <laughs> well, luckily, the next category is another one of my favorites. Okay. I'm, I just wanted to say that I think the Elizabeth Bears hammered should be in this category. Well, yeah. If it it's just not new. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, post-apocalyptic and pre-apocalypse. Yeah. No actual apocalypse. Just pre and post. <laughs> And there's okay. Let's start with the one that makes the reason for the pre-apocalypse because it's related. We might have to add apocalypse at some point. Right, right. So John Joseph Adams and Hugh Howey are doing this project, and I'm so excited about it. It's called the Apocalypse Triptych, mm-hmm. and they're self-publishing it because they didn't think that they could do this commercially. They have three anthologies, part of the triptych, and one is pre-apocalyptic. One is Apocalypse, and one is Post-Apocalypse. The only one that's out so far is The End is Nigh, which is the pre-Apocalypse. And the stories, often, between the three volumes, they're going to link together. Mm-hmm. So maybe one author will write a story for each one that is in the same world that continues the story. 
Um, so I got the copy. I snapped this one up of the audiobook of the end of sign. I'm not, I'm not finished with it yet. Um, I've been listening to it. I've made it through. I think I just got done with the, maybe the Hugh Howie one. But one of the stories <laughs> is my favorite so far is bring her to me all in capital letters by Ben H. Winters. It's mm. the creepiest story I've ever listened to. You have to hear it in audio. Um, you know those cults, those end of the world cults where everyone commits suicide together? Right. So oh this story, God is speaking to everyone. Only I think in the story, you're supposed to think it's actually, people are actually hearing this voice because uh, the voice in their head is very specific. <laughs> and it's telling them all the same things. They have to create poison meat for themselves on a oh certain day and everyone's going to oh. die. And then every once in a while, you hear, bring her to me. <laughs> oh, it's wow. so creepy. And that's why I tweeted the other day that I just hope God never speaks to me, because <laughs> if it's like that, <laughs> no. no, thank you. That's but, good. Yeah. But it's also creepy that it's a Jenny do not want story? No, it was creepy just in the right way. <laughs> but, okay. of course, the entire story is before it happens, right? So you're mm-hmm. hearing there's some different so, stories of people you know, as they're hearing it and preparing the meat and getting ready for this night. I'm hoping that this story continues in the other two anthologies Uh, because I want to know what happens next. Oh, wow. Because one of the main characters, she doesn't hear the voice. Yeah, I don't know. The third one will be set in the afterlife and the second one will be the rapture itself. (laughs) Well, but there are some people that aren't hearing the voice. So Uh I don't know if the continued story would be, yeah, that part of it or if it would be the people left behind. Um. Yeah. yeah, I love the whole concept of this whole project. I'm super excited about it. And all the stories are read by different people. Some of them have multiple readers and performers. And so there's just a lot of variety in it. Hmm. Sounds good. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's really good. Neat. So, Jenny's all about the apocalypse. I'm all about the apocalypse. And uh, I the heard best this. part of the... So, keep going. The best part of the introduction... It says, post-apocalyptic fiction is about worlds that have already burned. Apocalyptic fiction is about worlds that are burning. The end is nigh is about the match. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. John Joseph Adams just, is just like on fire lately. He just, everything he touches seems to turn to gold. So, Yeah, I basically have a John Joseph Adams shelf at my house at this point. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, when I go to the bookstore, uh, his stuff is all in the same section. It's really easy to find. Yeah. yeah it's it all right at the beginning, right? All the anthologies, they, they put them together, and it's, 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 good, it's good to look through. Yeah. All right. So uh, I noticed also uh, there's a Howie listing listed there called Dust. Um, didn't uh, Luke do a review of that recently? Did anybody hear that? He did. You didn't like it very much. No. Did anybody else hear it? Yeah, I listened no, to it. No, I did that. not. Oh? Okay. I, I've not read no. any of these silo books. Me either. I, I would any, say... I'm the only one who didn't. Oh, I guess not. I know Luke liked the first one. I would one. say... Yeah. Who's the narrator? Uh, Hugh Howie, he doesn't say. Um, is he narrated himself? 
No, I, I can't so. remember. Oh. Well, it, it doesn't sound like one I want to listen to anyways, considering it's the third one in the series, but um, I've heard good things about the first one. Tim Ger- Gerald Re- Reynolds. Gerard, sorry. Tim Gerard Reynolds. Okay. Uh, anything else in the uh, end of the world section? I wanted to mention the Nettie Okorafor book, Lagoon, narrated by Ajoa Ando and Ben Onwukwe. Um, I really liked her book, Who Fears Death? So I plan to listen to this one. Um, it says three strangers, each isolated by his or her own problems. Adora, the marine biologist, Anthony, the rapper famous throughout Africa, Agu, the troubled soldier, wandering bar beach in Lagos, Nigeria's legendary megacity. They're more alone than they've ever been before. But when something like a meteorite plunges into the ocean and a tidal wave overcomes them, these three people will find themselves bound together in ways they could never imagine. You know, people are always saying we need more books set in places outside of the Western world. So mm. post-apocalyptic well, you're a big in Nigeria, fan of those, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I read a lot of world lit. So did this you looks like a did good you combo. talk about this one on on the uh, reading envy? No, I haven't read it. Oh, okay. You were talking about two Nigerian books that you were really liked. And oh, yeah, I, I read which um, ones they were. Americana by Chichimande Adichie. Okay. Yeah. But that's uh, mimetic, right? <laughs> it's about hair. <laughs> Something. It's about many things. Wow. <laughs> I'm really confused now. <laughs> well, just listen to the Reading Envy podcast. Ah, uh, yes. I need to listen to that episode. It's a good show. <laughs> All right. The Forever Watch. Uh, who's who's this? Uh, is this the first book in a series? It doesn't say it's a series. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then David Ramirez is the writer and the description is kind of timely I guess this was probably not made because of the movie but it's it's a Noah book all that is left of humanity is on a thousand year journey to a new planet aboard one ship the Noah which mm-hmm. is I guess <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> which is also carrying a dangerous serial killer as a city planner on the Noah, Hannah Dempsey is a gifted psychic, economist, hacker, and bureaucrat. Wow. One <laughs> of careers. And is considered mission critical. She is non-replaceable, important, essential. But after serving her mandatory breeding duty, the impregnation and birthing that all women are obliged to undergo, her life loses purpose, a purpose as she privately mourns the child she will never be permitted to know. When the policeman, Leonard Behrens, enlists her and her hacking skills in the unofficial investigation of his mentor's violent death, Dempsey finds herself increasingly captivated by both the case and Barons himself. This sounds like a romance now. (laughs) According to information security, the missing man has simply retired. Nothing unusual. Together they follow the trail left by the mutilated remains. By the mutilated remains. The investigation takes them through lost data spaces and deep into the uninhabited regions of the ship where they discover that the answer may not be as simple as a serial killer after all. What they do with that answer will determine the fate of humanity in David Ramirez's thrilling pause resistor. 
That is the worst <laughs> way of ending a sentence. I don't a know thrilling what a pause, pause resistor. resistor is. Pause. I think that means you can't. You can't. Stop. Oh my god! You can't so stop. Say that. <laughs> you can't stop turning pages. Oh. The copywriter there had <laughs> run out of synonyms. Yeah. yeah. Oh the cover my god. for this one is so cool. Um, what uh, isn't that way too many jobs for one character? She's a mom. Uh, uh, I guess. Yeah, uh, gifted psychic economist, hacker, left. bureaucrat, <laughs> and detective. She wants it all. <laughs> well, when all of humanity that's left is on one ship, I think you probably have to do multiple jobs. Probably. You have to multitask. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> economist, so hacker, bureaucrat, and gifted <laughs> psychic. Hmm. Would you like to hear what David Brin blurbed on the cover of the book? What did he say? Vivid, action-packed, and yet filled with scientific plausibility. The Forever huh. Watch propels you on a tense voyage of mystery, surprise, and discovery. <laughs> Other than the fact that I can't get over the pause, pause resistor. resistor. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound god-awful. Yeah. Um, the, I think there's too many jobs going on there. So, <laughs> I mean, that is that is trying to be everything to everybody. Oh, boy. Minus one star, too many jobs. I don't know why well, I wouldn't know. I, I'd have to read it. But hmm. let's get down to science fiction. All right. Yay. Let's do it. I'm skipping the other one. Uh, okay. Well, the first one, Dark Eden by Chris Beckett, read by Various. Um, this is from Random House. On the alien, sunless planet they call Eden, the 532 members of the family shelter beneath the light and warmth of the forest's lantern trees. Beyond the forest lie the mountains of the snowy dark (laughs) and a cold so bitter and a night so profound that no man has ever crossed it. This is not really much of a plot description so far. (laughs) Um, The oldest among the family recount legends of a world where light came from the sky, where men and women made boats that could cross the stars. This sounds maybe like this is the future of the last one we talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. That's funny. But young John Red Lantern will break the laws of Eden, shatter the family, and change history. So um, our reviewers actually already finished this book, and I'll post that review pretty soon, hopefully this week. Um, th- it does sound like a sequel. And of course, this is Eden, right? So yeah, it's, it's uh, also Eden. biblical. <laughs> yeah. New Eden or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think Noah is ta- that movie Noah is, is like a foreshadowing of, of a new trend that's happening? Just people going back to the Bible for stories. Spate of biblical spinoff. Yeah, biblical biblical SF. <laughs> well, I was reading an Raven. article today. That there's an article out today that was talking about the rising Pentecostalism nation or worldwide. Mm-hmm. So maybe What's it's Pentecostal means. Um, you know, like the charismatic Christian denominations. Okay. Like with a you know, guy at the front who's handing out lottery tickets. No. They they do the the uh, speaking in tongues you should at look least. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That kind of stuff. All right. But I mean, if you if you think about it. That's a group of people that effectively shut down any sequels ever being made to uh, the Philip Pullman movies. Uh, so they have power. Were they, <laughs> was the Philip Pullman movie good? No. 
I mean, it could have no, been. That, that might be the problem. The, no, no, no. It was because of censorship. Yeah, it? it was. Yeah, it was. That's, yeah. that's oh. what the I had golden, heard. The Golden Compass? Yeah. Yeah, the Golden Compass got just flat out boycotted. And the, I, the I book, hate though, censorship. Right? Or do you mean no, the movie? movie. No, the book, really? is, the book is oh. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, and a lot of people try banning the book, but that doesn't necessarily stop a book from being a bestseller. However, when you work in mass against a movie, apparently that is more effective. Mm. Anyway, I don't think that's related to this book at all. <laughs> mm. I don't so think this is, sounds very much like Noah. But is the review positive? Or very no. positive? No. no. Oh, okay. I think it's 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 neither negative nor positive. I think he liked some parts of it and thought some of the other parts weren't as great. So those are things that may kind of work themselves out because it looks like this is the first book. Speaking of movies, um, the next one, Tam, you, you, you seem to know about this one. Yeah, I've actually read this. Okay. It, it, uh, it is tomorrow. It's called the edge of tomorrow by Hiroshi Saka or Razuka. Actually, it used to be called All You Need Is Kill, which seems like a mistranslation. <laughs> but, uh, and it's okay. I mean, I like the beginning more than the, the finish. So what's it about? It's kind of like um, uh, Groundhog Day with, uh, combined with Full Metal Jacket. Like, like Weird. The soldier. <laughs> that sounds like traumatic. Well, it is. I mean, the soldier's in a war and he dies. And then he has to repeat the same one or two days over and over again. Thanks. But he, he can remember the previous loop and he can kind of practice skills and carry them over to the next loop. Traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, that sounds awful for a, for a veteran to have to go through. Uh, so Tom Cruise is going to be in the movie. I guess that means it's going to be a big budget. Um, is it set in the far future or what? what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's actually they're fighting an alien invasion. Okay. Yeah, I think they have some future technology too. Okay. Well, but it's actually um, Japanese, I think. I maybe think we should uh, maybe we should uh, re- read it before the movie comes out. I guess it's not that long. I think it's only two hundred pages, maybe. Huh. Well, Casey's uh, Casey's got it for review. Um, Casey seems to be a fast reviewer. Yeah, must have a big commute. Yeah, and he likes the military science fiction, mm-hmm. which we've needed someone to do for a while. So. Good. It's good. Yeah. Thanks, Casey. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I, I like the female soldier's nickname in this, the, female, the full metal bitch. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's probably uh, got a, a anime, not an anime, a um, manga by now then, if there's a movie as well. Oh, probably. That'd be cool to look at. Yeah, I think yeah. the author was influenced by either anime or video yeah, games. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, one of them here, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, it says never before on audio. I think these are maybe for that reviewer or sorry for that, uh, narrator, um, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. Um, yeah, because clearly <laughs> <laughs> they've been out before, yeah. um, but, uh, that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, red planet blues. I'm kind of interested in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert J. Sawyer's new book, I guess. Um, is it anybody know if this is in a series? Because I I don't do the second books of series anymore, even by Robert J. Sawyer. 
I'm not I don't sure. think so. I don't think so either. Okay. I haven't heard. Yeah, unless I mean, there's some books that don't start as a series, but then it sells so well, or you know, whatever they yeah. retrofit <laughs> it. And, oh, it it needed a series to be a series all along. It just uh... <laughs> no, he's he he tends to put it right out there. Right no, he's the good. Yeah, no, I like Sawyer. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't sort of. I think it's an expanded uh, short story called Identity Theft. Oh, oh, Scott did an audiobook of that years ago. Um, huh. that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. So that'd be, uh, sort of a mystery detective story. Yeah, that's what it is. It's online. like a, I don't know if noir, can I use the word noir, but it's a, detective if it's story. a, if it's one, if it's not a series, you can, you might be using it wrong, it, but it's kind of in the style of like Raymond Chandler. Okay. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, hard boiled, but it's still. In the area. Voodoo Planet, that's a public domain book like uh, Princess of Mars and Warlord of Mars. What else we got here? Ex-Purgatory and For Honor We Stand. Cyberpunk Hackers Codebreakers. <laughs> One's called Noggin. Yeah, the, I like that. The first one on here. Mm-hmm. The, oh, we can talk about Noggin first. Okay. Because um, it's our only YA title and we don't often get those. No. Um, so this is by John Corey Whaley, who is an author I don't know, read by Kirby Hayborn, which is a reader we do know. And let's see, Travis Coates has a good head on someone else's shoulders. And, uh, I'm going down here. At some point or another, Travis's head got chopped off and shoved into a freezer in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> Five years later, it was reattached to some other guy's body. And well, here he is. Despite <laughs> all logic, he's still 16, but everything around him and everything and everyone around him has changed. That includes his bedroom, his parents, his best friend, and his girlfriend. Or maybe she's not his girlfriend anymore. That's a bit fuzzy, too. Looks like if the new Travis and the old Travis are ever going to find a way to exist, there are going to be a few more scars. Oh, well, you only live twice. <laughs> I'm, I, I, maybe I didn't listen closely <laughs> enough, but is his head attached to someone else's body with that other person's head? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. know. How does that work? Okay. That's what I was picturing, and that didn't seem right. Yeah. The, the title's hilarious, though. Not it is. No, it is great. Very YA friendly. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know it's good. YA when they're focusing on your parents and your bedroom and your mm-hmm. girlfriend. <laughs> and Kirby Hayborn's a nice, youthful voice, so that would be yeah. a good read. Yeah, either youthful or zombies. It seems to go back and forth. <laughs> And then last but not least, we have Decoded by Mei Jia, read by Ryan Gessel. It's one of China's best-selling novels, an unusual literary thriller that takes us deep into the world of code-breaking. The mysterious world of Unit 701, a top-secret Chinese intelligence agency whose sole purpose is counter-espionage and code-breaking. Rong Jingzhen, an autistic math genius with a past shrouded in myth, is forced to abandon his academic pursuits when he's recruited into Unit 701. So, sounded interesting. Yeah, as China's greatest crypt- cryptographer, I got to keep reading. Rong hmm. discovers, Rong, I love his name, <laughs> R-O-N-G, <laughs> Rong discovers that the mastermind behind the maddeningly difficult purple code is his former teacher and best friend who is now working for China's enemy. But this is only the first of many betrayals. I wonder who China's enemy is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Julie snapped this one right up because oh, she had been listening to an interview with the author on NPR, or they were talking well, about it on 
Yeah. So I want to hear that. Yeah. Sounds really interesting. We got a good batch of books this time. We We do. do. Lots of good things to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we we finish up, I do have a couple of um, titles from Downpour slash uh, Audible that I thought would be um, worth noting. Um, Great. I guess those are the new releases. Desert of Souls, uh, Debir and Asim Book One. Um, I heard good things about this as a paper book. I think they sent me a tour copy a while ago, but, you know, I'm an audio guy. Um, there's now an audiobook coming, um, or I guess it's out now. I guess uh, March 26th it came out. 12 hours, 53 minutes, read uh, by Peter Genham and the author is Howard Andrew, Andrew Jones. Um, Tam, did you read the first 100 pages of, of this or anything? No, but uh, Julie Davis really liked it. She, right. she repeated it. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, it sounded like it would be fun. Which yeah, I think it's like Arabian Nights, kind mm-hmm. of. but with a sort of a modern author, you know, working on it. Um, the other one that I spotted that was kind of cool uh, is a Frank Herbert book, um, and it's not a novel, which is nice because they've done too many of his novels. It's only three hours. Um, it's called Direct Descent. Um, and I think everybody here will appreciate it uh, because it starts with a library planet. <laughs> the greatest treasure, the deadliest weapon. Earth has become the library planet over the last <laughs> several thousand years. A bastion of both useless <laughs> useless and useful knowledge. Esoterica of all types. And uh, I just listened to the first uh, couple minutes of it. And um, it sounded like a, a fun little story. Wow. Three, three hours is nothing. So No, that's not bad. Yeah, it came out April 15th, and uh, it's read by Scott Brick. So, I wonder if it's like uh, Borges' Library of Babel. I hope it's not that uh, claustrophobic. I, I can't imagine it's going to be that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Frank Herbert can be really great when he's great, and uh, I, this is one I've not heard of, because I mostly have heard of his, his um, novels, of course, but uh, I didn't realize he had written anything that was sort of middle-length. Yeah, me, or yeah. non-Dune. <laughs> yeah, no, I've read some of his non-Dune stuff. Um, <laughs> and it was okay, but uh, I, I think, you know, n- novella is actually the best sort of length for science fiction. It's mm. It gets you in there, gets you thinking, and then doesn't drag drag its heels, you know, with plot and stuff like that. Mm. Another um, one uh, released around the same time is Night Ride. And other journeys by Charles Beaumont. Um, this has got multiple narrators, including Paul Bomer, Stefan Rudnicki, and Harlan Ellison. And um, that would be a sky road, a skyboat road production as well. So it's available on Downpour and Audible. It's eight and a half hour, eight hours, eight point one hours, and it came out April fifteenth. Um, Charles Beaumont, you guys probably aren't super familiar with him, but he wrote. What's that? Didn't he write for the Twilight Zone or something? That's right. Um, so his famous um, Twilight Zone episode uh, would have been, I want to say, <laughs> darn it, I've read his stuff. Um, the Howling Man, that's a pretty great episode. You guys remember that one? It's like a uh, they're, they're keeping somebody locked up in a in an abbey and uh i I guess 
the Americans come or something, and it's World War II, and the Americans come, and, and they they free this guy, and of course it's the devil. <laughs> Oops. They, they've let out the devil. Oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, damn it. Damn it, Corporal. Yeah. The devil for. It wasn't a comedy, but it, it, it's um <laughs> it's pretty great. I think he also did um uh, a few other uh, TV show adaptations that are really um well regarded uh for the Twilight Zone. But he he wrote a lot of short stories as well, um including one I think is by him. I just want to bring it up because my memory is getting crappier. Um, called The Beautiful People. Do you guys remember that one? No. Marilyn Manson. Um, uh, they changed the name for the television show. Oh, is that where everybody's beautiful except this one girl? And they That's right. I'm just going to bring it up. Beautiful. Yes, Charles Beaumont. Um, so, yeah, her, her mom's beautiful, but she's not beautiful. And she, um, she is being pressured to get the operation to make her pretty. Um, and that is basically the premise of those pretties, uglies and oh, right. whatever book series. But instead of it being a, you know, novel series with, you know, four big novels it's one short story. And it really <laughs> packs a huge punch um, in both the show and in the short story, which the stor- short story is public domain. So you should go to my PDF page and download that and read it. You'll love it. Wow. Um, so, so I guess he's like Richard Matheson. He's he's like Richard Matheson, except I think Richard Matheson is more about psychology, whereas Beaumont is more about emotion, if that makes sense. Okay. Matheson is sort of like to get you – he likes to see character psychology, where Beaumont's trying to make an emotional impact, I think. I gotcha. But they're both – you know, they're both Twilight zone you know? So I think that that would be a nice uh, full-size book to have a look at. Collection of stories by Charles Beaumont. He he's one of those guys they call the writer's writer. You know, writers think he's great. Nobody else <laughs> nobody else reads them <laughs> because um, of or whatever. You know, however it works out, he just doesn't have that runaway hit like. Uh, uh, the guy who wrote Dune did, you know, Frank Herbert. He's got a runaway hit. If if you're Charles Beaumont, you don't have a runaway hit. Um, I guess Charles he never had Beaumont. a big novel. He just has good stories. I think that that's right. I think that he didn't have a novel and that he's just sort of regarded as a great short story writer. Mm-hmm. Any more? Yeah, I've got... Uh, I don't have any more. I've got... Um, Serpent of Venice by Christopher Moore that um, he was recently on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And I wanted to mention this audiobook. It just came out like the last week or so. Um, Narrated by Ewan Morton, uh, who I'm not really familiar with. Um, But Christopher Moore wrote, I mean, he wrote, he writes some humor books, kind of satire. Um, um, He's written vampire books. And um, his last major book that I read was Fool. And the main character in it was a, a fool named Pocket. It's essentially the fool from King Lear. And so the, the whole point of that book was, you know, the fool being able to speak truth to power. And mm-hmm. it's a very, um, very foul-mouthed, foul-mouthed fool. And his adventures in kind of setting, setting all the characters in King Lear straight. 
Um, and this nice. book, this book is interesting because that same fool pocket ends up in Venice, and apparently um, it's a mashup of the Merchant of Venice, which the title definitely alludes to, and Othello, and Cask of Amontillado. Wow, that's a good mix. <laughs> so apparently the book opens with the um, the pocket, the fool being trapped in a wall, and um, in in kind of one of the Venice um, under canals, and the serpent. The, this is what makes it SF. There's a serpent in the book. The serpent discovers him and starts performing sex acts on him. So uh, <laughs> that's apparently the opening to the book. So um, he's pretty, a, he's a great pretty writer. hardcore. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a great writer. So I'm, I'm really that, looking forward to reading this. That is heinous. That is heinous fuckery. Most foul, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something the fool says. Yes. Also, uh, fuck stockings, which apparently he actually marketed as a as an actual. He made fuck socks. <laughs> so, oh my god. So, we uh we we have to put an explicit rating on this podcast now. Huh. Well, I think we should boycott this podcast, uh, make it unavailable in theaters, and have no sequels. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> See you next week, guys. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>